You're listening to the Choose to Be podcast with host Alana Gordon and Amy Wolsey. As you join us each week, we will provide you with tools, resources, and knowledge to help you navigate your healing journey. Choose recovery, choose healing, choose you. Welcome to the Choose to Be podcast. Thank you for joining our conversation today. So last episode, we talked about trauma bonding and we wanted to continue that conversation. And I'll be honest, I think I felt like I wanted to continue that because I didn't feel like there were quite enough tangible phrases or examples for women to really like identify with, like, is this really me? Do I really do this? Is this a thing in my relationship? And so I don't think honestly, Alana, we have enough to do a whole new, a whole other episode on it, even though I thought we did in that moment. But as I was thinking about this, it leads to another topic that I know we wanted to touch on as well. And that's over-functioning. So let's do like a two for today. <laughs> let's talk a little bit more about what that trauma bonding more tangibly might look like. And then what that can also lead to in the sense of over-functioning in your relationship as a trauma response. Are you cool with that? Alana? Oh yeah, <clears throat> absolutely. I was listening to another podcast the other day and the therapist who was on kept using a word that listening to it, I, it just rubbed me wrong. And she kept using the word colluding that these partners of who had partners who had betrayed them in some ways was colluding in some of the patterns of the relationship. That word like rubbed me so wrong. And I bring this up because I see a lot. I see this colluding idea. I hear about codependency, which I feel like we're starting to move further and further away from that, which is good, but codependent in a way of like co-addict, co-being part of it, codependent behaviors in a way that something's wrong with the betrayed partner because they're codependent. And in my experience, when we have abuse, the partner has to learn how to survive and cope being in that type of relationship in that type of environment. And so when we have that, we can have some ways of trying to handle it that do look unhealthy. And they are a response to this unhealthy behavior. And so I... That word colluding just gets under my way. Yeah, it does. And so last week we did talk a little bit and we very nervously were like, okay, you are part of the pattern, but in no way are we saying you are the problem. We're not even saying he's the problem. We're saying this behavior that's happening in the relationship is not okay. And I think with trauma bonding and tell me, Amy, if you see this with your clients, but the clients who are the deepest trauma bonded often have the hardest time seeing it. They're the ones who are coming back and saying, wait, am I abusing him? Am I, or her, if it's vice versa, am I the, and they are the ones taking on way more than they should take on and doing way more than they can take on. So I love that we're going to look at overfunctioning with this because overfunctioning in and of itself can be a trauma response. 
yeah. whether we started in our childhood to be able to manage our family of origin. And if I do enough and be enough and somehow I can keep my parent or parents happy, then everything will be okay. And then yeah. we get the same type of pattern in abusive relationships or with trauma bonding, being so hyper aware of them. Yeah. It's so true. And I think that's where, when you're talking about essentially owning our part in the cycle that perpetuates the cycle, we have talked about that before and my people pleasing over empathizing those definitely perpetuated the cycle. And it all does stem from that innate desire to survive, like our human instinct to survive. And so when you're in now in a toxic environment and you're wanting to be adored, you're wanting to be accepted with this attachment, this person that you're attached to, you're now going to do whatever it takes to please and bend over backwards to stay attached to that person. And so it's hard to see it when it's this basic survival function that's really going on. But what I notice a lot with the trauma bonding is, and I'll use my own example is that I, I learned how to survive in that toxic environment to the point where it didn't I didn't know it was toxic. A lot of times this happens so slowly and carefully, that manipulation to thinking that I'm the problem, to thinking that I'm the one that's causing him to lash out. I'm the one that's creating him to punch the hole in the wall, like that I must have done something to cause. That's classic trauma bond thinking where I put that all back on myself. I absorb that. And that just slowly chips away at your worth, at your value. You start to, I started to believe that I was the cause of it all. I'm the problem. What can I do to not be that problem? But we learn very quickly how to avoid any conflict again, in order to survive and get the acceptance we're seeking. Now we're going to avoid the conflict to keep their attention. So now I'm always, I know I'm bouncing back and forth to we, to me, <laughs> sorry, I'll try and not generalize too much, but I remember just wanting, focusing so much on him to keep that attention and that was a big reason why I lost myself, why I stopped focusing on me. We had a, I think we had so many wonderful write-ins on suggestions for a hundredth episode. And that was actually one of them. Like, how do you get yourself back? Because you lose yourself in this because we're so focused on them and trying to be prepared for the next thing. When the next big thing hits, what's coming, hence that phrase walking on eggshells. So we're on very high alert. And, and that everything I just played out right there, if that resonates with you, then it is not a healthy relationship. That is not how a wife, a partner should have to function or live in a relationship. And I didn't know that. And so if you're listening to this, I want you to know that it doesn't have to be that way. That's not, that's exhausting. Hence why we're going to go into over-functioning. It's exhausting. And it's not sustainable crashed several times because that's not a sustainable way to live. It's not healthy at all. And we have the attachment, which is very real and very deep and very accurate. And then for a lot of women, they will say, but that is my value system to love and take care of and treat with okay, kindness yes. and help and 
right? And so- Yes, trauma bonding is not love. It's not love. This is not love. And it's funny because you use the word attention multiple times. And I was like, ooh, some women might take that as like, I'm trying to get attention from him. I'm seeking his attention. And just want to highlight, I think it's connection. You're seeking that attachment. You're seeking that connection. And yes, you want them to see you because we want to be seen and heard and noticed. And so I think women tend to get that word attention and there's a really negative connotation with that. She's just attention seeking. She just wants people's attention. She just needs men's attention. And so I want to make sure that if you're listening to us talk, we're talking about that, that be seen, be heard. The person who you are most attached with can actually see you and connect with you. Yeah, that's the healthy attention. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with keeping their attention when you're having a conversation. But I remember just getting to that place where I was like doing whatever it took to keep it because it wasn't there. It was, he was always gone or in another world or not really attentive, like there, but not there the thing. And so that's the thing. So thank you for clarifying that because I can see how that can go definitely both ways, but it's the healthy attention that happens in a healthy relationship. If I'm having a conversation, then yeah, I expect to, to have that healthy attention (laughs) to be listened to. And when that's not happening, I'm focusing, I would focus on him to try and stay a step ahead. Really. It was just, let me just stay a step ahead because he's very unpredictable. And so I want to stay a step ahead to know what's going to happen next and how to maneuver. I was just, I felt like I was just constantly maneuvering and contorting like, okay, what can I do now? And, oh, he might, okay, do over here. Oh, maybe if I make dinner and then he'll actually stay put for one second and pay attention to me, like, like a healthy relationship deserves. Honestly, It's interesting because, okay, the abuse cycle goes round and round where we have this tension building and the tension builds and it builds and it builds until there's some kind of rupture. If we're talking about physical abuse, there's a physical altercation or multiple. If there's emotional abuse, it's that they finally just lose it. And then after, for however long that period lasts, then there's that guilt and that remorse And then follows by this repair of, I'm so sorry. Sometimes they don't even say sorry, but it's like, they show up of like, I'm going to give you flowers or I'm going to do this, or they find some way to try to repair it. And a lot of times the repair is not even what you're looking for, but it doesn't matter after the repair, when we have this period where it's like, oh, wait, he is trying oh, wait, there is some kind of good here. Oh, okay, okay, okay. But then with time, tension builds. So we go round and round this abuse cycle. And I'd say round and round, but really we go deeper and deeper and those those binds get tighter and tighter into that trauma bond with this abuse cycle. But what's interesting about this whole pattern is, I have no idea. (laughs) It totally left me. I got so distracted with (laughs) shit. My brain was like, it's so interesting how often we justify and minimize and rationalize and where my brain was going with that. So maybe this jogs what you were really going with it, but where my brain was going with is that, yes, that's the perpetuation of the cycle. And then when that calm or the 
quote attention came the adoration, the acceptance or whatever that, however that showed up that week, it was like, Oh my God. And this, I mean, I would hold on to any sort of thread of positivity, whatever that looks like. Even if there's that deep down part of me, it's like, I really would have liked this This is really what I wanted, but I'll take it. And then we go to the justification. Yes. And Tony Overbay, and he has a podcast, Waking Up the Narcissist, and which I love the work he's doing. He talks about narcissism in through the lens of emotional immaturity. And even people who aren't diagnosed as narcissists, there's plenty of people out there walking this planet who are emotionally immature because we all come to the planet emotionally immature. Just some choose to do the work to heal and get better and grow and some don't. Yeah. But he was talking about so often he'll have couples come in and, or a woman come in and she'll say, yeah, this week it was better. It was better. And he just said, okay, was there actual good behaviors happening and good change happening? Or was it a lack of bad? And he said, you would be surprised how frequently it was a lack of bad that they were calling good. Yes. And how there actually wasn't healthy change happening. They were just in a period of a lull of the cycle cycle was still happening. There wasn't actual growth and change happening. But again, that hanging on to any thread of hope, that forever hope that can be a beautiful thing, but also can be so toxic when it's not based in reality. It's not based in what is actually happening. So going back to what you said earlier about if you feel like you're walking on eggshells, if you have to always be one step ahead of them, because you never know if you're going to get Dr. Jekyll or Mr. Hyde, that's a really big sign that something is happening that is really unhealthy. Yeah, it really is a big sign. And I feel like my past victim brain would go then into justifying, well, he's just really stressed at work. So notice if this is what your brain just did is he's really stressed at work and he just can't help it. He's got a lot going on and If we just get to this point, if he just gets through this, if he just, we just need to hold on. And then if you find yourself rationalizing, justifying, then, I mean, that's a sign right there or phrases like he just loves me so much. I hear that from a lot of even young single adults when they're experiencing trauma bonding already in their dating relationships. He just loves me so much. So you wouldn't understand. And I actually remember, this just jogged the memory. I actually remember telling my sister, I remember confiding in her a lot more than the other members of my family for a certain period of time. And, and I remember that coming out of my mouth a lot. No one would understand. No one else would really understand. It's just, it's just a thing. And thinking that I'm different, that our situation so different made me feel better, made me feel safer. There we go back to that safety. Because it felt really dangerous to see. Or if you're finding yourself just feeling like you cannot leave, you cannot do life alone, you cannot do life without him. I remember there's no way I can financially do my life. I can't do single motherhood. I can't. There's no way I need need him and I can't survive without him. That type of thinking also is in align with trauma bonding. That one is such... I... Yeah, that I need him. There's such a difference between I choose him and I'm choosing to be here and I'm choosing this and I'm here because 
I don't know where I would go or what else I would do or how I would do that. I was the queen of denial. I'm actually really talented at denial even today. My brain, that's like its go-to. And so I wouldn't say he just loves me so much, though I did like believe that. And I actually, now Luke, while there was emotional abuse built into his addiction, he didn't have this type of abuse. So I want to make it clear that my situation was different before I share this. But with Luke, I really did know and believe that he loved me. And I knew that. And I could see that he was showing it in really unhealthy ways. But there was so much that I didn't want to see. And so I would tell myself these things in my own head on repeat to be able to stay happy and stay functioning in the relationship. And so I had to create a certain false reality to be able to thrive in my life. And the reality is I did um, until everything came out. That being said, everything came out and I learned how disconnected I was from my intuition, how disconnected I was from my gut, how I could see the damage later of turning myself off, what that had done. But my denial served its purpose. It did allow me to keep functioning and keep coping in a relationship until it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think this is what leads to the overfunctioning too is, and I think a lot of women, myself included, and what you just said there, we didn't, you don't realize a lot of this until you get out of that, but it can be tricky to identify this when you're naturally a caregiver. In fact, one of the things that you can do to get more clear, that question that someone had sent in, like do an episode on how to find yourself again. Here's, here's one thing that you can do is take some of these online tests. Like what's my attachment style? What's my Enneagram? I love Enneagrams. Just getting to know your style a little bit better. That's a really great thing to do to come back to what's my patterns here. And so if you find that your, your pattern, like this isn't going to surprise you a lot, but I'm like Enneagram too. Like I'm helper. And so I over-functioned to manage that overfunctioning is this urge like to manage or help or change your partner. And so you might find yourself doing everything in the relationship. And sometimes that can bounce, that can oscillate in the relationship where you find like one person's carrying the load while the other person maybe has something going on. Like lately Scott's been carrying the load because I've been emotionally just like melting because my I can't be with my grandbaby and my son just left for college. And now I'm like, okay, time to come back up and share the load a little bit. But in my previous relationship, I definitely carried the load. I was over-functioning. I was trying to make everything work and tick and flow and be safe and steady. And, you know, and even in my relationship, I'm going to put in all the effort here to make sure that's just an unhealthy dynamic. I would love to talk about how it shows up okay. because I think about definitely I still struggle <laughs> with overfunctioning today. Like I would love to say I am a recovered overfunctioner. No, I am an overfunctioner who is still overfunctioning and constantly like that is one of my biggest life battles is how do I balance better? How do I step out of overfunctioning? But when before I really did a lot of this work and this relational work, over-functioning in my relationship looked like 
I felt like I had to plan the dates. I felt like I had to figure out how to be sexual in the right ways. And then I had to approach him and I had to be ready for him sexually. Yes. And I had to make sure he had the food he wanted. And I had to make sure when he came home, the environment of the house was what was going to make him feel good, whether it was clean or the kids were happy. When we had vacations, it was, okay, what's going to make him happy? What's going to keep him in the best place? Because when he vacations, he loves theme parks. He's ADHD. And so he loves action and movement and lots of stuff. I put me on a beach, Amy and I, we sat on a beach for two days and did nothing but like lay on our chairs and read books and talk occasionally, watch shows on our phone occasionally, like super chill. Have my husband and I ever done vacations like that? No, because I was so focused on what does he need to have a good trip? How do I make sure that he emotionally stays in the best place possible? That was always on my mind. And how will this impact him? Yes. Okay. I love that you made this more tangible because this is exactly where I can see women in myself also go to this place of like, especially because of I am a natural, like people pleaser helper. I enjoy when other people are happy, a personality over myself that wouldn't, that didn't trigger the red flag because it was, I want him to have a good time. I he's busy working. And so I have the time to plan the vacation. And I, that's me showing that I love and care that I want him to have a good time. But what you said there, I think is key. And I'm going to expand on that just a little bit. It's in order to keep him in the best place possible so that, and then finish that sentence so that he doesn't get mad at the kids or react to me or right. So that so he doesn't shut down, pull away, yeah. wallow off. That's the piece right there that I want women to take it to that next step. Why are you doing that? And what would happen if you didn't? So if you didn't make sure dinner was on the table or make sure the kids weren't screaming and yelling and things were chaos. What happens if yeah. yes. And usually what I hear is responses that go, he would do this. And then I would pay for it emotionally so much longer. I might as well just make the dinner. Exactly. I might as well just do this because it will make him happy. So I can sure I cannot do that. But now I've just, now he's going to be unavailable for two weeks. Exactly. Now he's not going to, he's going to stonewall me. Now he's going to yell at me. And so their brain goes, okay, what's the best case scenario? I just do this. I just do this. So again, over-functioning as a trauma response. Exactly. Which makes total sense. And I just want to validate how easy that is to justify in our minds. Because again, we're back to what we were talking about earlier in the episode is we are trying to survive. This is how we, and this is how we survive, but this is also how the pattern continues. And so if you're looking to stop the cycle, then this is why I want to slow it down and back it up and get clear about if I don't do that, then what happens? And I just want you to see, to see, and I just want to keep validating like that. That isn't how a healthy relationship functions. That isn't healthy for either one of you to keep that cycle going. And again, I didn't know that. I thought that was my job. That was my role. That was me being a good wife. And now that I have this healthy relationship, I am still like, I will still say to Alana, like, oh my gosh, I think I just did the other day. Like, 
I'm just still amazed at how safe he shows up. He still shows up so safe. And I, my body will still go, eh, might not want to say that because if you do, I knew what that backlash was like in my previous relationship. So my trauma part is still there, but I have to go, okay, hold on a second. My couple bubble is strong. He, he shows up safe. So let me lean in here. I'm just going to go for it. And he shows up safe and that's healing that trauma part. I didn't know that before, which is why I'm telling you listeners now, it is possible. It is a thing that's not expecting too much to have someone show up safely that way. So anyways, really quickly, I wanted to just talk about like, give a little clear definition on over-functioning because I think sometimes like, I know my brain would hear, would go honestly into justifying. I'm a go-getter. I really have more energy or, and just justify this. So can we just talk about what over-functioning actually looks like? Maybe starting with what functioning looks like, like just making everyday decisions, being responsible for my thoughts, my feelings, my emotions. So then what would over-functioning look like? In essence, I think it's taking on everyone else's thoughts and feelings and responsibility. Bubble. <laughs> yeah. If you've listened to Amy and I for very long, you've heard us talk about our control bubble, what's in it and what's outside of it. Outside of it is when we start doing things for other people. So going back, I took responsibility for Luke's feelings. I was constantly trying to manage his experience. I still catch myself of like, Hey, that's this child's. It's okay for them to work through that. It's okay for them to have this negative feeling. And so, yeah, a hundred percent over-functioning is stepping out of your control bubble. And I think it, what is harmful about this too, is that it eliminates vulnerability. I couldn't be vulnerable with in my previous marriage. So that over-functioning like control, I was trying to control everything, control situations, control him to make sure that no one pays the price. So it was large amounts of control and I didn't feel safe to step back and state a need, which kind of what I was talking about earlier is in a healthy relationship. Like we can function, but we also need connection. And that's a healthy thing. But when I was over-functioning, I didn't step back. I wasn't safe to, to be vulnerable enough to say, you know what? Hey, I need help here. Can you help out and maybe make dinner tonight? Or, Hey, I'm really needing this. Like that wasn't an option. And that is what functioning looks like. Normal functioning day-to-day is self-reliant, but also allowing my partner to help and step in and be vulnerable there. That wasn't happening in my previous relationship at all. It was, I've got it. I've got it together. I can do everything. And there was no way I was going to be vulnerable and say, I need help. I so, love that you brought that up. Yes. A thousand times over. Yes. I would do that until I would lose my crap. And then it was like, you have to do this and I can't handle this. And I would be the volcano that would explode because I had suppressed and self-sacrificed and suppressed and denied myself and ignored my own needs. And whether it was sleep or food or time, it was constantly the self-sacrificing until I would explode or break or fall apart. Then my bodyguard would show up and demand, you do this and you do this. And then I would swing right back as soon as I could. <laughs> I'm using quotations, as soon as I could function again, 
then I went right back into those same old patterns of over-functioning and self-denial. Yeah, for sure. You could probably speak more to this or validate this in the, with some awesome therapy words, but (laughs) I feel like too, I was primed for over-functioning because I was the oldest of seven kids. Oh yeah. And I had a lot of that responsibility placed on my shoulders. And, and I think I, and I noticed that a lot with similar clients who fall into that caretaker, counselor, confidant kind of role that, that feels good because, Ooh, I'm needed. I'm important. And so I didn't see a lot of this over-functioning or see that it wasn't healthy because that's how I thought I was supposed to function. That's how I gained my value. Yep. And so I think those that tend to have more of style that would probably fall into this trauma response more than others, maybe. Oh, completely. And it doesn't have to be the firstborn, but we do see that a lot with the firstborn, but there are certain personalities or if the parents or just the family put someone in that role, put ourselves in that role. Also, what's interesting with overfunctioning. It can also be a way that we manage our own feelings. So if we have anxiety, over-functioning can be a way that we're managing our anxiety or any negative feeling, really. So if I just stay busy, if I'm doing something, then at least I'm doing something. Then in, it really can become a medication or, again, like another coping mechanism for anxiety for depression, for not so much with depression, because depression honestly kills our motivation. But sometimes we try to overfunction to manage the depression in an attempt to get out of the depression. So overfunctioning can show up for a lot of different reasons, but it's managing those negative feelings. So we can have that overfunctioning as a trauma response relationally, but we can also have that overfunctioning to manage our own experiences that we don't like. Yeah. Even like, yeah, feelings we don't want to go to. We don't want to see. So So when you say manage, we're really, it's avoiding. Oh, for sure. We're not like, I want to be, I want to like, be clear. This isn't like a healthy management style. (laughs) This is like, I don't want to feel this because it sucks. So I'm going to just go clean the house all day long and make it perfect. That was my or <laughs> I don't want to think what's happening in my relationship. So I'm going to fill my day so full subconsciously. Yeah. I'm going to fill my day so full that when I just crash in bed at night, all I've thought about is everything I need to do. But I, there's never space in my brain to make space for what my brain is trying to make space for. So yeah. I'm going to just stay so busy. Any of these things resonate with you and you're like, my overfunction is actually because fill in the blank. It doesn't matter why we want to understand for us what that reason why is, but figure out for you, what's driving your over-functioning? Where did this start? When did you first recognize maybe that you were doing more than some of the others around you? What did that feel like when you were doing that as a child? Did that feel good? Sometimes it does. Did it ever feel overwhelming? When has it worked for you? And when has it worked against you? And sometimes ways we cope with trauma, they actually work for a long time really well until they don't. So 
Well, yeah, it's not, it's definitely, it's survival and it's how we survive. It's how we keep things going for a short period of time. But like we said before, it's not it's this kind of behavior, this overfunctioning is not sustainable. You will crash. And to your point earlier, you would explode. And so how does that look for you? And I think this also is interesting because it definitely, I don't think that we're just over-functioning maybe in our romantic relationship with our partner. I think it, it feeds into other areas of our life too. Like I definitely over-functioned as a mother and felt like I was, I mean, to the point where the whole, like, let's choose goals. Like, oh, I know a good goal for you. <laughs> Let me pick your goal, kid. Like, are you over-functioning in, in your children's lives too? Even let me just find something for you to do so that it's not that much of a mess for me to clean up. I mean, how is this showing up? And, and I, it's again, drop into curiosity. And if you notice this showing up for you, please notice if your brain is going to like, it will, okay. Your brain's going to judge the hell out of this. So just put that aside a little bit. Say, thank you for bringing that to my attention, but I'm just going to get curious here. I'm just going to get curious and I'm just going to see And I almost like, I say almost, I literally will put myself like third person. Like I'm looking at myself from the outside, looking in to take the emotion part out of it, to get rid of that self-judgment and just watch myself like, okay, what's going on right now? What am I doing? I'm running around like head cut off. Okay. What's, what's, what's happening. So anyways, just get more curious rather than judgmental here. Cause this isn't to make you feel bad. This is to help you see, help you heal because like we're saying, it's not sustainable. And we know that all of you who are listening want to heal. You want healthy in your life and it starts with you. So pay attention, get curious and just practice maybe doing something different today. I love that. I think that's such a beautiful way to wrap up. And what I heard you say in there really is filled with so much self-compassion that as you're getting curious, as you're becoming aware, as you're letting go of the judgment, you're having compassion for yourself and your experience. And as I've worked with all of these different people, they're almost always is just pure desires and pure intentions underneath this. And it is us trying to cope and function the best way that we know how. And so being so loving and so kind and so patient with yourself and having grace is going to be so helpful as you continue to move forward, beating yourself up for responding the way that you knew best how in that given time, the way that you responded probably has kept you able to function and be alive and be here today. So give yourself credit for keeping yourself going. And now as you're learning and hearing, you want more, which is beautiful. And be happy that you are in a place that you want to learn and grow. Because there's a lot of people who don't want to learn and grow. So that's so huge. Yes. You're never going to hate yourself into change. So love yourself into change. Yeah. So I love that we started this episode and we're like, We don't really have much and obviously we have a lot and we could probably always keep going. Sometimes I wish even so when Amy and I, when we did that road trip, some of the women were like, man, I just loved the road trip. I wanted to be in the car hanging out with you. 
And sometimes I'm like, man, I wish we could just rent a bus and we'll bring you all. <laughs> like, come sit with us. We'll all talk about this together. Cause I do like, I feel like I can see Amy, but I feel like you're all with us just hanging out, talking about this stuff. That's so real. So just thank you for hanging out with us, sitting with us today. And as always, we really appreciate when you send feedback. So please jump on wherever you listen to your podcast, give us feedback, send in requests for ideas for episodes. We always love that. And it also makes us feel like, again, you're even more with us. So keep that feedback coming, share it with others. And just thanks for being with us. We will see you all next week. Okay, y'all, this is the last week to register for my young single adult healthy dating and self-empowerment course for those women ages 18 to 24. This course is seriously everything I wish I would have known before I got married. You are going to want your daughter to take this. It's informative, fun, and so empowering. If you're not sure, just listen to the previous podcast episodes I did where I interviewed these women. You are going to be blown away at their awesomeness and what they learned about themselves. I love this course. I love working with young single adults. So share with your special YSA today and keep on choosing healing, choosing recovery, and choosing you. Take care, everybody.